0: Hey, good morning, and welcome to Wawasee Bible. Glad you're here today. My name is Josh, and uh, one of the pastors here. And today, we wrap up a series called For the Life of the World. Do you remember Christmas morning when you were a kid? Do you remember what that was like? When I was little, uh, uh, when I was really little, before my two youngest brothers came along, it was me and Adam. He was a couple years younger than me. And we lived on the farm. And uh, I can remember very vividly uh, a handful of Christmases in a row uh, waking up probably at about 4 30 in the morning pretty excited and the pattern after that went like this we would uh, run down the hall and around the corner past the stairs to my mom and dad's room and uh merry christmas they're like what go to bed <laughs> how many of you that's you like yeah, go, yeah merry christmas go back to bed it's 4 30 what time is it and so we'd go back to bed, and then a half hour later, one of us would go down again. No, it's not time yet. And we'd sit up in our rooms talking, and then the other one would take their turn and go down, you know, 15 minutes later, until eventually we wore them down where we could at least go downstairs and stare at the presents. <laughs> and then after a while, we could go back up, and, and we'd, uh, we'd nudge them some more, well, uh, are you ready yet? No, not yet. Well, can we, can, we, can, we, can we move the presents around? And we'd finally wear them down to where we could, you know, sort them into piles for who got what. And... And eventually they would come down and open the present, and we'd get an open present. See, when when we woke up that morning, it was Christmas, right? But it wasn't yet Christmas. Does that make sense? There's a word for that. Did you know it? There's a word for that phenomenon of of anticipation of something that uh, is yet future but is already present, and it's this uh, Greek word that gets transliterated into English. You can find it in an English dictionary. It's called uh, prolepsis. Prolepsis. You want to say that with me? I want you to just say that. Prolepsis. Kind of word you've maybe never said in your whole life until today. Um, prolepsis, here's what it means. It means the representation of a thing existing before it fully does so. So the representation of a thing, a living like a thing exists even before it fully exists. That's what Christmas morning was like for us when we woke up. And what, what I want to commend to you today as we wrap up this series is that Jesus teaches in the New Testament that we're to live lives in this, uh, uh, described by this word prolepsis, uh, living his kingdom today with anticipation for when it will fully exist when he returns. If that doesn't make sense yet, I hope it will by the time we're done today. But with that, let me pray, and then we're going uh, to look at a handful of things together. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for your grace to us through him. Lord, I thank you uh, that you give us the privilege to gather as your church, that you've sent us into this world to love people, uh, to serve them, to invite them to follow Jesus with us. Lord, I pray this morning uh, for all of us here who do know you, that you would uh, encourage our hearts to live your kingdom today, to reach out to people with, with joy and with courage, especially as we think about Easter coming, Lord, that, that people would know you and meet you. But but even if they never do, if, they, if nothing else, they would experience your good because of the way we're living our lives. Holy Spirit, I I pray that you would teach me even as I teach. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, that you would uh, protect us. Jesus, you say it's a good thing to pray for protection. So I pray you would protect us and that you would guide us and teach us truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So prolepsis, huh? This anticipation of something that isn't yet fully here. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, do you know how the Old Testament people, how the Jewish people understood time? Here's kind of how they, they understood it. They would understand that time is moving forward and that right now we're living in this age. And in this age, they would have understood very clearly that God was sovereignly in control of all things. He's ruling and reigning over everything. Would you agree with that? I mean, we see it on the screen there, right? The psalmist writes, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Well, the the people in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, also understood that time would move forward. And eventually there was coming a new age, an age to come. And in this age to come... The difference of what would happen is instead of God ruling and reigning over all of creation from his throne in heaven, he would come down to earth and literally set up his kingdom on this earth. There's a promise made to David uh, in the book of 2 Samuel, where it's 2 Samuel 7, where God makes a covenant with David and says, uh, David, on your throne, uh, there's going to be someone on your throne forever implying that the Messiah would rule and reign and that God is going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And the Jewish people understood that there was this age and there was the age to come. And they also understood, based on prophecy, that there was coming a day known as the great and awesome day of the Lord. And on the day of the Lord was the day when we would move from uh, this age to the age to come. From God ruling and reigning in heaven to him ruling and reigning on earth. Make sense? You with me? Now, here's the thing to understand, too. They, they anticipated that two things would happen on the day of the Lord. The first thing that would happen is there would be salvation for all of God's people. But there would be judgment also then for all of his enemies. So if you were one of God's people, you looked forward to the day of the Lord. Why? Because salvation was coming for you. But if you were one of his enemies, you should uh, fear and dread the day of the Lord because judgment is coming for you. And John the Baptist, remember, fast forward to the New Testament, John the Baptist, what does he say? Repent, why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. John understood it this way. He understood we're living in this age, but listen, uh, I understand the age to come is coming, so you better repent. Listen, if, if you know the Lord, great, there's salvation coming for you. But if you don't, you better repent, man, because judgment is coming and it's going to be awful. In fact, he warned some of them, right? Some of the religious people is like, who warned you of the judgment to come? This was the Jewish understanding of time and of the future kingdom of God. Well, then Jesus comes along and he begins teaching things in accord with Scripture, right? Now look at some of the things Jesus says about this kingdom. The age to come, or the age that is the age to come where God's kingdom will be established on earth. Here's what Jesus said about the kingdom. He said, uh, first off, he said it's here. Look at what he says in Mark 1. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. God's kingdom has come. He's like, the kingdom is near. The kingdom, other times he says, the kingdom of God is among you. It's here, is what Jesus says. Now, what does that imply if you're a Jewish person? If that means the day of the Lord happened, but I haven't seen judgment, I haven't seen anything like the day of the Lord that Joel describes in the Old Testament. Is this guy crazy? And then Jesus would also, though he would say that the kingdom's here, but he would also say this. He would say like things like this, like in John Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 will enter the kingdom of heaven, as if the kingdom of heaven is yet future. Are you confused yet? Jesus said, The kingdom's here, and he said, The kingdom is coming. Well, Jesus, which one is it? Wh- which one is it, Jesus? I mean, tell, you, you can't have it both ways, can you? And because of this confusion, you aren't the only one who's confused. John was confused. That's why when he's in prison and he's like, Hey, go ask Jesus if he's the one to come or not, because I haven't seen judgment come yet. When's judgment coming? I'm in prison. And Jesus says, well, uh, look at the good things that are happening. The blind see, the blind receive their sight, the lame are healed, uh, the, the, the deaf can hear. He's like, go tell them that. Salvation has come. Here's what Jesus was actually teaching and what he said. Jesus basically said that salvation had come, but judgment is delayed. That the kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully here. Now, let me see if I can help make this clear for you. The Jewish people, the reason they understood it this way as the age that's now and the age to come is because prophets like Ezekiel, like Joel and others uh, would get visions from the Lord. And when they would get visions from the Lord, they would see things that are in the future that God revealed to them to write down and to preach and tell people. Sometimes, oftentimes it was in terms of judgment because of their sin, but sometimes it was actually a vision about the future. Now, when the prophets would see a vision, are you still with me? When the prophets would see a vision, I would commend to you that often they saw it like a two-dimensional image. You ever drive through the mountains, and you pull off at a scenic viewpoint, and you look out over the hill, and you see this, just this beautiful scene of mountains, right? And you pull out your phone, and maybe you take a picture of it, and then you take it home, and you show somebody, and you're like, oh, this is, they are like, oh, that's beautiful. You're like, "Now the picture doesn't even do it justice. Now, why not? Well, because in that picture, it's a flat image, right? You can't see the full depth and scope of everything that you experienced. Well, I would commend to you that one way to understand how the prophets saw visions from the Lord is they saw it like that flat image on your phone. And when they saw everything correctly... And they saw these different mountain peaks out there. And so in in Joel's case, he saw the day of the Lord. And he saw this mountain peak of salvation coming for God's people. And this mountain peak of judgment coming on his enemies. And he reported it. You read about it in Joel chapter 2. But what the reality was is that Joel, from his perspective, could not see the gap between those mountain peaks. He saw it as a flat image. And there was actually time between salvation and judgment coming. He saw it as a flat image. You you might refer to this as telescoping prophecy, but in reality, he saw it correctly, but there was distance between those mountain peaks. Are you with me? So when you get to Jesus... Uh, All the people have have understood it as this flat image like Joel and others uh, reported that uh, there's these two mountain peaks on the day of the Lord, judgment and salvation, and they're coming and watch out, woe to you if you don't know the Lord. Jesus shows up and says, hold on, this is a three-dimensional image. There's this first peak of salvation which has come. The kingdom has come, but judgment is delayed. Jesus understood it like this, that yes, that we're in the, this age, right? And time is continually moving forward. And yes, the day of the Lord is coming. But here's the other thing that happens. The new age, the age to come, doesn't start on the day of the Lord. It starts with Jesus' first coming and his death and resurrection. The age to come comes with him on the cross, and it's inaugurated. And one day it will be consummated on the day of the Lord. So what, really what happens then is these ages overlap and we're living in this time of overlap between these mountain peaks. And so uh, judgment and salvation are still coming, but salvation came with Jesus' first coming, with the inauguration of the age to come, and judgment is yet coming. Those two things both come, and, J- and Joel saw them correctly, but they're separated in time. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Uh, now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because you and I are living in this overlapping of the ages. We're still in this age, but guess what? With Jesus coming, that age to come, that future kingdom of God reigning and ruling on the earth has already been set up. It's been inaugurated. But it's not yet fully here. Uh, and if you don't believe me, that's exactly what Jesus taught. You know, he, he talked about the kingdom being here, but not yet fully here. And it will be fully realized at his second coming. Let me see if I can help you understand this better. Because this is going to set up the rest of where we're going this morning. Uh, think of it like a seed. I've got an acorn here, and in this acorn, um, you could you could say that uh, the entire future, uh, everything about the future of this oak tree, is represented and fully present right now in this acorn. Would you agree? Now, some things have to happen before that full realization of the oak tree is here. But but right now, it really truly is fully present, even if you can't see it yet. It's here. But yet it's coming. It's coming. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I got to plant some seeds with my son, Charlie. He wants to plant strawberries. He wants to grow strawberries this spring. And so we started some strawberries, and we planted some cucumbers and some sunflowers, and we got these things growing in our basement. And that was two weeks ago yesterday we planted them. And uh, today, this is one of the, the sunflowers growing. I plucked them out and brought them along today. And uh, in the seed we planted, everything I hold in my hand was fully present. The entire future of, of this sunflower was fully present at that time. And the entire future of what this sunflower will become is fully present right now. Is your mind kind of doing tricks on you yet? But isn't that true? Do you agree? See, this is how Jesus teaches about the kingdom. It's, it's like a seed. It's fully present now, but it's not, it's not yet all that it will be. These ages overlap, or you might think of it like a book. Here's another illustration, think of it like a book. If I'm reading a book, and I'm about this far, everything I'm reading in the book right now is, is the present, and I'm learning about it and understanding it, right? Everything that I have read is past, and everything that I will read is future and yet a mystery to me. Yet, when I hold the book, I the entire past, present, and future is fully present. Right? Listen, that, that's the kingdom. That's what Jesus came and what he taught. And, and he said, uh, the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet all that it will be. It's, it's here, it's inaugurated, but it will be fully present in the future when I return, when I come and consummate it and set it up. Now, beloved John writes in 1 John 3, 2, we are God's children now, And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews in verse 8 tells us that as of yet, not all things are seen as being subject to Jesus. But they will be. (laughs) They will be. The kingdom is here today, but it's yet coming. It's already, but not yet. So Jesus' teaching on the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom then is already present, but not yet fully realized. I went about that in about five different ways. You're with me? You get it as best you can right now? Because this is going to help us as we move forward. Now, one... One just brief uh, explanatory point here before we go on, if some of you are, are, some people who are really into theology, you may understand this, and the rest of you, you got just like a two-minute break here, Um, but there's this, there's this theology called kingdom now or dominion theology that takes this truth and um, uh, takes it and, and wrongly, uh, understands it. And it takes all those things that are yet future and says all of those are fully present today. So if you ever watch TV and you see a preacher on TV and he's like, uh, we need a breakthrough. Uh, we, you need to name it and claim it. And you need to, to break God's kingdom through right now. Uh, no, God's kingdom doesn't break through. It, it grows like a slow tree. And one day when Jesus returns, it will be fully realized. So that's not what I'm teaching. That's all I'm saying. Uh, for those of you who get it, great. For those of you who don't, welcome back. And let's keep going, all right? Number two, because it's, 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 it's heresy, so that's why I, I want to clarify that, what I'm teaching. Number two, our life on earth then in exile, here's the, here's the point then I want you to understand these next two things. That all of your life right here in exile is preparation for eternity. We live in this overlapping of the ages. And the kingdom has come, but the kingdom is coming. And every day of your life here on this earth in exile is preparation for eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, that I believed and so I spoke, We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Look at verse 15 there for a second. He says, for It's for your sake. It's for, for the good of, and the life of the world that as more and more people receive God's grace, it's, it's good. And it's ultimately then for God's glory, to the glory of God. So, verse 16, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you ever feel like your outer self is wasting away? As you get older? Like, I, I didn't know I... I had something that hurt there, but it hurts now. And I'm told it gets worse. Is that true? Your outer self is wasting away. Even though it's wasting away, our our inner self is being renewed day by day. Well, why? Well, look at this. I would commend to you that everything on this earth then is preparation for eternity. Here's what Paul writes. He says, for this light momentary affliction, no matter what it is you're going through, in light of eternity, and not to belittle it in any way, shape, or form. But isn't it true it really is a light and momentary affliction? I'm not saying it's not awful. It is. But in the grand scheme of things, and look why. Look look why Paul can say that. He says it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's preparation for the glory that's yet to be revealed for the glory that's yet to be experienced when God's kingdom is fully realized on this earth. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you just came out of, whatever it is that's coming that you're going to go through, it's preparation for eternity. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't escape God's view. It doesn't escape his plan. And even though it may be awful, his grace is enough to take you through and, and your response and my response is what matters, and it's preparing us for eternity. Amen? For an etern- the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Whatever you think heaven's going to be like, you don't have a clue. It's going to be so much better. So much better. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, Paul writes, are eternal. So our focus, he says, must be eternal. Now I told you, I think that Paul's teaching here, one of the things he's teaching us is that all of our lives then is preparation or training for the future. I'm a Cubs fan. Anybody else a Cubs fan? Go Cubs, go. Charlie's got most of the words of that song down already. Go ask him. Say, go Cubs, go. Hey, Chicago. He'll start singing. <laughs> Teaching him important things, right? Well, uh, there, there's something that's that started here the last few weeks. Do you know that? Uh, the season has actually already started. You're like, no, it's not baseball season yet. Yes, it is. It's baseball season, but it's not yet fully baseball season. You know what started a few weeks ago? Spring training. Spring training started. And you know what spring training is all about? The season started, but it's not yet fully here. And you know what spring training is all about? It's all about being prepared for the real season. Friends, we live in spring training. These pictures, by the way, are from Larry and Kay Camber. I texted Larry. They were down in, uh, in Arizona this last week and got to go to some spring training games. So I thought I'd make him feel guilty for missing church by throwing up his pictures. <laughs> No, it's great that they're able to go and enjoy that time together. And, uh, but that's, that's what this life is. It's spring training. The, real, the season's here. It's real. It counts. But the real season is yet to come. It's all preparation, or like we said a few weeks ago, all of your life then is investment. What are you investing it in? See, there's there's eternal rewards that come, too, in Jesus' kingdom when he sets it up on this earth. And and if we have our eyes, like Paul said, just focused on what we see, uh, we miss out on what's unseen. Because what we see, he said in verse 18, is transient, but what is unseen is eternal. And so our lives now, during this time of training and preparation, we should really have our eyes focused on eternity and and racking up not not rewards for ourselves today, but but rewards in the season to come and and rewards that are eternal and last forever. Does that make sense? It's a future hope. All of this, friends, is preparation for eternity. So you know what that means? Uh, It's all investment, and so all of your everyday life is... Not about today, it's about eternity. I mean, it is about today. Today matters, but ultimately it's preparing you for a greater weight of glory that's beyond all comparison, Paul writes. How are you preparing? That means in your job, how you live out your salvation matters. Why? For God's glory, for others' good, for your joy, and ultimately even for your reward. How about your relationships? How are you doing with your family, loving your spouse, caring for your kids? It's all preparation for eternity. All of it is preparation. All of it is investment for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, Paul tells us. So... Let's just kind of recap here. We've talked about the fact that Jesus tells us the kingdom has come, but it's yet coming, and that we live, and Paul confirms this too in all of his writings, that we live in this overlapping of the ages. The kingdom is here. It's not yet here. So uh, we're in spring training. So what? Well, here's, here's the so what. Here's, we've said that this whole series is about what is our salvation actually for? And I've commended to you that it's for the life of the world. It's for the life of the world. That's why you've been saved. For God's glory, for others, good, and for your joy. It's for the life of the world. And what I would commend to you, it's not in ideas or in talk, but in your actions. See, the church then maintains this hope of what's yet coming, it maintains the hope of the not yet, by living the kingdom that's here today. The church maintains the hope of what's coming for the life of the world and for our joy and for God's glory by living what's true of the kingdom today. Not in ideas or talk, but in our actions. We're to be the hope of God scattered throughout the world. And we retain this hope by gathering together and then by scattering to to reach the world. And, And not even just to reach it with the gospel, but just to live the gospel Even if people never meet Jesus Christ, it's good for you to do good works for them and to love them because that's God's heart. The church is to be the embodiment of the hope that's yet future. You're the acorn, right? We're the acorn. And by God's grace, as we live our lives according to his plan and bring good to the world, Uh, one day there's going to be a huge tree when jesus comes to rule and reign his physical body think about this jesus was given for the life of the world right his physical body was beaten and bruised in the in the same way then uh the church is going to be poured out in exile for the life of others let's get back to our seed again you know jesus talked about the kingdom in relation to a seed did you know that he told a parable, and uh, he was teaching, actually, and one of the things uh, he answered uh, a question with, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit, meaning it's going to grow and turn into a new plant, right? Whoever loves his life loses it, And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I would commend to you that if we're the acorn, in a very real sense, we need to die to ourselves for the life of the world. Just like Jesus died on the cross for our life. That's what your salvation is for. And maybe as we close... Uh, let's look at what Jesus says uh, is the, should be the pattern then of our prayer, of our prayer life, our communion with him, and see if you see any of this truth, that the kingdom is here, but it's yet future, and so while we're here, we're to live everything that's true of the kingdom today for the life of the world and for God's glory. Here's what Jesus says. It starts actually in uh, Matthew uh Chapter 6, verse 5, he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, Pray then like this, in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, pray about and for God's glory. Hallowed be your name. Jesus, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. How wonderful, how glorious. And I pray for your glory to be revealed in my life and in my church and at my workplace, in my world, on my in my neighborhood, on my block. Hallowed be your name. Yeah. Look at verse ten, he says, Your Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. The kingdom's here, Jesus says. And and your will, Lord, we want your will like it will be in your future kingdom when your, when your kingdom is, is totally here. We want that to be true today, Lord let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and then he says uh, pray like this in verse 11 give us this day our daily bread sustain us lord sustain us help us through this time of exile protect us guide us give us grace forgive us our debts as we forgive as we also have forgiven our debtors help us to to bring healing and harmony the relationships and ultimately to this world while we're here in exile and finally lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil in some ways jesus is telling us to pray this so we don't fall in love with this place but that we keep our eyes on eternity and in in some manuscripts like when i memorized this as a little boy what comes next after all that for what For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. How long? Forever and ever. Amen. That's how Jesus tells us to pray. Friends, uh, your salvation is for the life of the world. And you've been sent into this world, wherever it is you live, whatever it is you do, you've been sent there by Jesus Christ himself. Go read it in John 17 and John 20. He prays it. He says, I've sent them just like you've sent me, to love people and to invite them to follow Jesus with you. And if they don't follow Jesus with you, it doesn't matter. You're still sent to love them. And you're sent and I'm sent for the life of the world. That's what your salvation is actually for. Amen? As we close, I would remind you that there's, there's videos on all this that you can view online and there's instructions in your, in your bulletin. And I'd encourage you to go watch those even if you haven't in your 110 group. But with that, let me pray. Then we're going to take our offering, we're going to sing, and we're going to call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord, I confess that I get my eyes focused on the here and now. And uh, I do exactly the opposite of what Paul tells me to do. What you tell me to do through Paul in Corinthians 2. To not have my eyes focused on things that are seen, but on what's unseen; not on what's transient, but on what's eternal. Uh, Lord, I think the truth of the matter is we all struggle with this. Would you please help us give us a vision for eternity that's that's bigger than now? Help us see that our salvation is for uh, not just uh, our saving, being saved from your wrath, but but for the good and life of those with whom we live in exile so that we'd be a city on a hill. We'd be a a city within the city, a community within the world that people look to and and say, uh, we bring good and bring you glory and it brings us joy. Help us do that, Lord, I pray. And Father, I pray for those uh, who maybe have never met you and never trusted you, that today they might turn from their sin, repent and become a Christian and, and come into your kingdom all by your grace. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.